Welcome to another edition of From the Preacher's Study. Uh, my name is Kevin Clark, and I, along with my colleague, my brother, and the preacher here at the Oak Mountain Church of Christ, Bob Hutto, have the pleasure of again studying God's Word with you in this format. We're so very thankful for your presence. We thank you for your interest in spiritual things and your interest in the teaching that we've been engaged in over the last several weeks. We want to thank not only our audience, but thank uh, the two deacons here who make this possible in terms of technology, and that would be Mark Townsend and Jason Reed. Uh, really appreciate them and appreciate uh, the talents that they've lent to us and their families for giving up the time uh, with them that is necessary for this podcast to be produced. Uh, we've been talking about the Sermon on the Mount, very powerful teaching of Jesus, uh, getting literally to the heart of the matter, mm-hmm. talking about our hearts and exceeding the, the, the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes. And so much of this has to do with our mindset and getting behind what motivates this conduct that's unacceptable in the eyes of our God and trying to root out the fundamental problem, which is the mindset, the mind, uh, the heart, the condition of that heart. And Jesus uh, makes it clear that whatever you've heard, he contrasts that with his own authoritative teaching as the Son of God, and certainly had every right to give this kind of teaching. And so last time we talked about uh, anger issues and relationships with our brethren and reconciliation. Uh, This time we're going to pivot to another aspect of the heart, and that is adultery in the heart. And uh, we'll talk about that in just a little bit. Before we do that, we always like to give both of us an opportunity to make some introductory comments. And so I yield to my brother, Hutto. Appreciate uh, Mark and Jason being with us again yes. and uh, d- taking care of the technical aspects of the podcast. And um, as we've said many times, we would not be here and be able to do this if it weren't for their right. expertise. It's interesting to me just how relevant the teaching is. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jesus teaches, you mm. know, 2,000 years mm. ago. What could be more relevant right. in today's yes. situation than yes. teaching about anger right. and right. controlling your anger? Right. There, if, if the world has a problem, it's got lots yeah. of problems. Right. Anger is a big problem in, in our world. And, you know, people, we let people stir us up and right. make us angry. We yeah. get, you know, worked up about things. And then before you know it, we're saying things we shouldn't and doing right. things we shouldn't. Right. And sometimes very violent things. That's right. And so the teaching of Jesus is very applicable mm-hmm. today. Control your anger. It's a heart issue, as you That's brought right. out. That's right. It's a heart issue. But if we can develop the right kind of heart, mm-hmm. have the heart of a peacemaker, That's right. a reconciler, well, then that's going to affect our behavior and be much more productive in the world. So... It's very, and what, what, what we'll talk about today, no, very absolutely. relevant, absolutely. very, very applicable teaching. Well, and, and because, you know, we think that we are so much more enlightened than those back in the day of Jesus. But yes, we have some technological advances that we appreciate and are maybe light years beyond uh, what people had in the time of Jesus. But the fundamental nature of man has not changed. Right. Uh, we're still dealing with anger and lust and murder and greed and people abusing one another, take advantage of one another, deceiving one another. That hasn't changed, and, and, and it's never going to change, which right. is why the gospel is the timeless answer to those timeless That's right. problems. That's right. <laughs> well, let's, let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 5 and start verse 27. Jesus says the following, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish 
than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And very similar to the contrast that we saw about, you know, you've heard don't murder, but get behind that. What are the attitudes that lead to that? Here, you've heard that you should not commit adultery, and that is true. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's not enough because he says, now look, if you've got these lustful thoughts for this woman, you've already violated the standard. You've already committed adultery with her in your heart. And that that really is um, some powerful teaching because we live in a society mm-hmm. that fans the flames of lust. It appeals to lust, whether we're talking about uh, commercials, we're talking about movies, we're talking about television programs. There are so many express appeals to your lust, much more so, I would say, than even you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. And so Jesus says, here's the standard, not just well, I didn't commit adultery with her, but I can think all kinds of things in my mind. He says, no, no, no. You can't even think the things in your mind because that transgresses the teaching of God because it starts in the heart and you've already done it. And so you think about uh, how many things fall in this category. There's the obvious things of, of looking at somebody and having inappropriate thoughts. And let's say this, uh, the scripture is not saying that one cannot recognize that a woman's beautiful. There are beautiful women. Uh, you may remember in, in Genesis 12, the Bible talks about Sarai, the wife of Abram, being exceedingly beautiful, so beautiful that unfortunately Abram lost his faith in God and decided to tell her, hey, just tell them, the Egyptians, that you're my sister because if you tell them that I'm your husband, they may kill me. And she made that kind of impact. She steps into Egypt and the lords of the Egyptians, including Pharaoh, noticed her. So are women beautiful? Yes. Are there some women more beautiful than others? Yes. Is it possible for us to recognize that beauty? Yes. But you can't go beyond that. And that's the problem. We often talk about that second look. The first look, I acknowledge she's a beautiful woman going about my business. The second look that leads to fantasizing or lusting, the scripture said that's inappropriate. One of the concepts that I love for this is Job 31.1 that that I really like to try to internalize as a man. I have made, Job says, Job 31.1, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? And obviously he's talking about they're looking with the intent to lust and inappropriate looking. He says, now I've made an agreement. I've made a covenant with my eyes. I'm not going to look on a young woman to have inappropriate thoughts. And what does that tell us? Well, one, it tells us, and of course Jesus is telling us as well, we can control our thoughts. Because sometimes you have discussions with people and say, well, you know, I can't control what I think just as long as I don't act upon it. And Jesus says, no, 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 you're accountable for your thoughts, which means we can change our thoughts or we can not think certain thoughts. We can control our thoughts. We can restrain them. And Job says, why don't you start out like him and make a covenant and say, you know what? I'm not going to allow my eyes to see things that they shouldn't see. Psalm 101.3 is a very similar concept that I like that uh, it talks about our eyes and what we see. Psalm 101.3 says, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. And so we need to do the same thing. You can think about all kinds of uh, applications. Most notably, one of the things in this context that comes to mind is pornography. Don't look at pornography. Don't start it. For, for those that haven't done it, don't start it. And those who are in it, get out of it because certainly it violates uh, all these principles and it's going to poison the mind. And it's very hard. Once you get things in that heart, it's very hard to get them out. People will tell you that people who get started in pornography, very difficult for them to leave it. Many times they require some partner or somebody else to help them with that. So a lot of thoughts, and I know we've thrown a lot at the audience, but Bob, I know you have some thoughts as well on this. Well, I mean, you, you, you talk about the pornography issue. I mean, it's just a huge problem it in is. our culture. It is. used to be uh, in, when I was, when I was younger, that, that time, if you, if you wanted to 
you know, be a partaker of that kind of thing. You kind of had to go to you the did. bad side of town, right. across on the wrong side That's of the right. tracks. That's and, right. You know, but but now it comes looking for you. It does. It does. Uh, and uh, you get stuff on your internet feed or whatever it is that's that's inappropriate very scantily clad right. at, at least right and so it it comes look you don't have to go looking for it it comes looking for you absolutely and so it it's really a problem and like you said we just need to not get started on it and if we are involved in it well then we need to have the will yes. to to work our way out of it to to do whatever we have to do because it, it's it's harmful it's it damaging is. it is um there are lots of things that make it wrong one is you're you're using you're using yeah. people as objects right. to gratify your own sensual desire. You know right. the basest part of you. You're right. using that person as an object, which just is really degrading and dehumanizing, right. and it's contrary to the golden rule. Isn't That's it? right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you're not doing to others as you would have them do to you. Right. And so right. it's just wrong on many many counts, and we need to you know we just need to avoid it. We need. We need not to give provision for the flesh. Absolutely. And, and think about this, Brother Bob. Uh, God understands this sexual desire that we have, and he's made provisions for it. I like 1 Corinthians 7 on this. And, uh, you know, there are some men that have the will and the restraint, like the Apostle Paul, that they don't have to act upon that desire. But others uh, have that issue, and God provides for that. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 2 is good for a man, or 1, I'm sorry, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, which would include adultery, but also, you know, looking to one lust, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Now listen to this, verse 5. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time. They may give yourselves, that you may give yourselves, to fasting and prayer, and come together again. Why? so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment, for I wish that all men were even as myself. But each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner, another in that. And so here we're talking about a man and a woman. And he says one of the purposes, not the exclusive purpose, not necessarily the most important, but one of the purposes of marriage is to do away with the idea of sexual morality. It's not necessary because you've got the sexual desire and God has given us a provision for that. That can be satisfied in the marriage bed, as said in Hebrews 13, 4, and the bed is undefiled. Sometimes we look at, at sex and sexual relations as a dirty thing. It certainly is not. God has made provisions for that. And I like this. He says, don't deprive yourself except for prayer and fasting, fasting by consent. Why? Because if you don't, Satan can tempt you because you lack of self-control. Here's the point. Who's he talking to? Christian people. Not talking about worldly people, carnal people. And he says, even Christian people, married people, can be subject to Satan's devices if you don't satisfy those urges in a way that God has provided for. So what am I saying? What's the connection to Matthew 5? Well, Matthew 5 stands regardless of whether you're married or not. But for those of us who are married, God has provided something to take care of those needs. So there really is no need. Like the, the Proverbs writer says, drink water from your own cistern. You don't need mm -hmm. to go other places. And so we can focus on our husbands and focus on our wives. And we don't have to worry about going other places. This is probably a, a situation where if, you, if, if the temptation arises, you need to act immediately. Yeah. And if you can act immediately, close that door, yes. turn away, turn your eyes away, get your mind on something else, as soon as you can, you're, you're going to stand a lot better chance of resisting that temptation. But if you, if you toy with it, if you mull it over a little bit, if you kind of dwell on it, right. think about it, right. okay, now, 
now the battle is is has been lost. Amen. Uh, Amen. In, in a lot of cases, so it's just the sooner we can deny ungodliness and worldly yes. lust. I mean, yes. just close that door. Flee it. And, yeah. you know, we're going to stand a lot better chance of handling it su successfully. And I love what Jesus goes on to say. And, and of course, the, Jesus speaks more about hell than anybody. That's I, right. It's kind of interesting. A lot of people think, well, hell is so incompatible with the Lord and the Savior and His love and Jesus. But it's Jesus that in the pages of the New Testament speaks more about it than anybody. He says, look, whatever it takes to avoid going there, you need to do it. If it means plucking out your right eye, do it. If it means cutting off your hand, do it. And he does it in the context of this discussion about adultery and thinking of lustful thoughts in our heart. He's saying, this thinking is going to lead you to hell. Whatever it takes to prevent you from going down that path, you do it. Now, we know that literally taking out and mutilating our bodies is not going to do anything against the battle of the flesh. But... The point is, whatever it means to remove the temptation, you need to do. I, I was talking to some folks. It was a preacher I knew that talked about um, he never goes to the beach. And he was not imposing that on everybody else, but he just said, I know me, and I know my eyes, and I know my problems. I can't go to a place where there's going to be a lot of scanty clad women because I have an issue. And so he just doesn't go, period. Right. That's a brother who understands this kind of teaching. And there may be some things that are in and of themselves fine, but if they create temptations for you in this area or any other, you need to stay away from them. So you may not be able to exercise some liberties other. Maybe you don't see certain movies. Maybe you don't that's go right. certain places. Why? Because you know yourself, and Jesus says whatever it is that's going to jeopardize your soul's salvation, you get rid of it with a quickness because hellfire awaits if you don't. I, it reminded me of, I don't forget now who was telling me this, but it's, a uh, Christian that would go on business trips a lot and right. said, I always take a picture to my family. You know, yep. when I get into my yep. hotel room, yep. I put the picture of my wife yes. and my children up so yes. I can see it. And that reminds me, That's hey, you're great. out of town and, That's good. you know, you're you're away from your family. That's good. But you're still married and you still have a family. So, That's good. you know, you have obligations yeah. and responsibilities. Like you, have, you have limits. And so... These people are doing what they need to do. They have figured out a way That's right. uh, to do what they need to do to take care of their, their particular temptations. That's right. what we need to do. you got to figure out a way right. that works for you to keep you out of these kind of problems. That's right. And we know that this is one of the three ways that First John 2, 15 through 17 talks about that the devil appeals to us, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. And so we got to be really careful to exercise discipline. And I really think that's what we're talking about. Look over in 1 Corinthians right. chapter 9, and verse 27. We're talking about discipline in the body. And the Christian must discipline his or her body. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 27, now Paul says this, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. Here's a preacher of the gospel, an apostle, who says, even I must discipline my body, which tells me that all Christians are going to have to control themselves. Self-control, probably one of the most difficult things for us to learn. First of all, our society says, don't control <laughs> yourself. Right. Give in to the yeah. urges. If it feels good, do it, you know? And here's the Bible saying the very opposite, saying, Every single day, you're going to have to discipline the body. And when it has inappropriate urges, you got to pull that away. Of course, we hadn't talked about, and we don't have time to get into it, but there are some affirmative things we can do that lessen those temptations. When we keep our mind in a spiritual place, when we set our minds on things above, like Colossians 3, 1 through 3, when we're in the Word of God, building our faith by that, when we're in prayer, when we're teaching the gospel, when we fill our minds and our days and our schedules with the work of the kingdom, it becomes a lot harder for Satan's activities to take root in our heart. 
And so not only do we want to not do some things, we want to replace that time with productive things that makes it less likely that we'll fall vulnerable to those temptations. I was reminded of 2 Peter chapter 1 where he lists these virtues Add to your faith moral excellence. Right. You know, we're striving to be morally excellent. That's right. Not not like everybody else, not a not a notch above. Right. We're, we're striving for moral excellence. That's right. And in your moral excellence, knowledge, in your knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, mm-hmm. perseverance, godliness, and so forth. But there's Amen. that idea of self-control. That's right. And uh, so we just have to learn to exercise that. And we, we can get better and better at it and stronger and stronger at it. We need to start exercising that self-control and really become, to get to the point where we're God-controlled. That's right. Not, there not, you go. There you go. Not only self-controlled, like but God controls our thoughts and our actions. Amen. Well, we've run out of time. Uh, very important that we don't sin in this area. Uh, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, those are very powerful things that drive us. And yet God says here that uh, don't just focus on the behavior. Focus again on the attitude that ultimately results in the behavior and just cut it off at the root. And I like what you said. And when you find yourself a thought straying down that uh, path, cut it off. Flee. Turn your mind to something else. And again, I love the concept all throughout the scriptures. We do have the ability to control our thoughts. Don't let Satan tell you otherwise. That's a big lie. That ah, you, you think what you think, but you can control your behavior. No. God says you can bring even your thoughts under the dominion of his rule and that's what we want to do well we want to end with a word of prayer as we always do and so i'm going to ask my brother uh, to lead us in a word of prayer sure our father in heaven we're so thankful that we can call upon you as our father that you love us that you've given your son to atone for our sins so that we can be in fellowship with you we are thankful that you've invited us to come to you in prayer to express our our thoughts, to express our desires to you, to express our concerns, to confess our sin to you, to ask for your help. So, Father, we come to you at this time in prayer. We ask you to to hear us. Father, we're thankful for the teaching of Jesus that has been left for us, that we have access to it, that we can read it and understand it. And so, Father, as we think about uh, the teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, help us to develop the right kind of heart, a godly heart, a heart that hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Help us to control our hearts, to control our anger so that it doesn't erupt into more serious problems, that we control our desires, our lusts. Uh, When those things uh, are aroused and come to the surface, help us, Father, to to suppress them, to control them, again, so that they don't uh, lead to further problems. Father, we're thankful for the way that you've made us. We acknowledge that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Father, it saddens us to know that Satan has come along and corrupted the good gift that you've given us in our hearts, in our bodies, that he's corrupted that and distorted that, and he's made what is good and wholesome and godly into something that's that's evil. So help us to recognize that, Father, and help us to uh, adapt our heart, control it, uh, to change it into the the kind of heart that you would have it to be. Father, help us not only to be self-controlled, but to allow you to control our thoughts and our actions so that, again, we can be pleasing to you. Help us each day, Father. Uh, help us as we go about our, our, our daily walks to present the gospel and to present Christ to others so that they too will come to glorify you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, your Son, our Savior. 
Amen.